Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of The Edge. Um, we've got Lester Chung on today. Um, he's recently released a book. We thought it was worthwhile having him come on and talking about the book. I've got a copy of it. I've yet to read it, but I am very excited about reading it. Um, so welcome back, Lester. Um, I think it's worth giving a little bit of background for anyone that hasn't kind of listened to podcast number one. I mean, obviously, they should go and listen to podcast number one, but if they haven't yet, give us a little bit of background and kind of how you got to where you are today and really what what's happened since kind of the last podcast and, and how did you end up writing a book yeah no problem so firstly thanks jay john uh for inviting me to speak about i guess something i'm, I'm very passionate and continue to grow in 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 energy and and focus on in in this area of uh, cybersecurity and uh, exercises in particular um so like you mentioned the first the last time when we spoke, yeah, it's just a couple of months back, but so much has changed uh, personally and professionally for me, um, which I, yeah, I'd like to spend a bit of time talking about because there are many facets which I believe the listeners would be able to uh, hopefully be inspired by and also uh, take away some some uh, learnings from, from, from my I wouldn't call audio my opportunity and my uh, experience over the last just the last couple of months to take away sort of tidbits into improving their their personal and professional lives. So just a bit of background. Um, I I spent the bulk of my career in the Navy, um, focus like focusing on operations uh, and training. And in particular, uh, I had the privilege to run the Naval Wargaming and Simulation Center, which formed a what is clearly becoming a core competency in my professional uh, repertoire, uh, running exercises. Um, thereafter, I moved to Canada and got into cybersecurity, uh, in particular running uh, exercises in the cyber and crisis management space. So that. Uh, that was the inklings of a book. I, I don't know. Three months ago, I've never have thought of writing writing one. And um, having gone through the process of writing and publishing a, a, a book, I think there are a lot of small lessons there that uh, yeah, anyone can take away, whether you're thinking of writing a book or whether you're just having clarity of where your professional aspirations are heading towards. It, 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 it all touches that and yeah the last time we spoke i was i think it was the week that i was not being notified of my first ever layoff of my life um and that was a yeah it was a good reflection point reflection and inflection point in my life to really consolidate what what and who I was, and deciding what the, the future holds for me. So I think it was a really interesting point in time. And like I mentioned, just three months, a lot has changed in that three months, uh, but it wasn't, the build up to that three month point, start point, it's years and years of uh, professional experience. And about a year and a half, of intentional personal branding building. So I think there's a lot to unpack there about how 
all that led gets me to this point and and hopefully a, a much clearer future of where, where I'm heading. Yeah, I, I think during the last podcast and really the the main reason we had you on as a guest before was kind of the branding you were doing on LinkedIn and the and everything you were doing to help people and encourage people in the positivity. Mm-hmm. And it sounds and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but from what you're saying, there are positives coming out of being laid off. Now, that isn't normally what people think about get being laid off. Let's just be honest. I mean, I to be honest, I, I was laid off many years ago, and I treated finding a new job as a job in itself. And I had the 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 luxury of being able to go from a job that I liked into Formula One, which was a huge passion of mine. Um, And now I look back on it and I'm quite glad that I was laid off, which sounds strange, but in in hindsight, we can always look back. But in the moment, oh, it sucked. I mean, there's no nicer way of putting it. It was, I'm, I'm very much an emotional being. I'm very much, I'm, yeah, I'm, everybody can tell. There's no point in even saying more than that. But I took it very, very, very personally at the time. Looking back on it, it wasn't personal. Businesses don't generally make personal decisions. It's mm-hmm. a business decision. Yeah. I guess I'm going to ask you a difficult question. I mean, mm-hmm. how did it feel at the time to you? Yeah. And how did you, what seems to be quite quickly change that situation into something that has enabled you to grow and create something because i think many people would struggle with that and i wondered what it was that helped you to do that yeah so i think the yeah like like you said it's it's always going to be a shock to your system right because I, most of us tie our identity so closely to a role or a job that we perform in the majority of our week or our lives, in fact. And, and therefore, from a value perspective, it essentially, when you are laid off, what it brutally means is that a company no longer values you. That's that's the that's the reality of it, right? Because you're no longer your surplus requirements or this function is no, requ- no longer required, and therefore we are removing your position. And in the company's eyes, you equals zero. That's that's a very raw but realistic view of what happens during a layoff. But how that translates to you see, if you tie your identity so strongly to that, it is going to transcend very quickly to you viewing yourself as of no value. And that's a dangerous spiral to, to a dangerous narrative and a spiral that you may start to uh, build upon if you don't quickly uh, pull back from a company's view of yourself and start to consolidate and yeah, really understand that you are of value and, and, and the experience, knowledge, skill sets that you have doesn't go to zero just because a company sets that to zero. And, and I think that's where um, the personal branding piece 
when I started the personal branding journey about a year and a half ago, I saw it as a insurance policy or a buffer to this happening. And I was fortunate that one and a half years ago, I said, okay, if this would happen, if I don't do anything, if I maintain status quo at a point in time, I, I'm not going to recover well. And therefore, I took that decision. But things change as well because initially, I start, it started as a mitigation strategy. But when it happened, I almost quickly, I think at the first, I don't know, 48, 72 hours, yes, there was a buffer to help realize that you don't just go into a downward spiral of, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm worthless. So that buffered. But it quickly changed to a opening of opportunities and leveraging your worth. So maybe I explain it in more tangible terms. When you are tied to your job, and for example, you, you with all, all the restrictions that you have with holding one job, right? There are conflicts of interest, there are limitations to your time and, and what you can share and, and I guess start ventures in. So if you only have that and you, you don't have a, a personal brand or a, a, I guess alternative plans, that's taken away, it, it all goes down. But if you have a personal brand that's something that you, you can leverage on, losing that job actually opens up more opportunities because now the restrictions, you know, your gloves are off, right? Like whatever, I can I can write a book, I can go work for whoever, I can do my own thing. It 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 opens up the opportunities, and but it's only if you're positioned well to do so. If not, you're just scratching the surface and, and trying to do whatever you can do just to survive. It's, it's, if you don't invest early on, then it becomes a survivor game. If you invest early on, then it becomes an opportunity to then cash in your chips, so to speak, to be able to uh, explore more opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I very much see LinkedIn is as if we used to go out and network before we had the internet it was like we would physically make friends with people see people both myself and i know john's got loads of people across most of the us that it's like every time we go to a conference everyone comes and says hello to john it's like everybody knows him based on even before linkedin before social media so to me, LinkedIn gives us that wider audience. And I know that when you posted about being laid off, there was a huge amount of support for you. Like, and, and you would get that in person anyway. But what LinkedIn, I think, enables people to do is, is the audience is huge. Like from day one, instead of having to call people or text people or go around and see people at events and 50 people find out or 20 people find out, mm -hmm. suddenly all of your followers and you have a lot found out in one go, there was this kind of safety blanket like wrapped around you. And and I've, I read a lot of the comments people wrote when you posted that. And I was amazed at the amount of support. And I mean, it just goes to show what people think about you and what you've done to help them in the past. And I really like the fact that in the cyber community, we have that. There are other people that have been laid off in the past year or six months that have 
it came as a surprise. Yours came as a surprise to me. I've seen other people come up that I've been surprised about. And the um, that safety blanket where you've got everybody going, what do you talk to this person, talk to this person, do this, talk to this person. Oh, by the way, do you know this? By the way, do you know that? Yeah. Um, but John, before we get on to asking kind of Lester about the book, anything you want to add? No, I think it's, you guys have called it out. Um, you've got to grow the personal brand. Um, you know, if you, in the past you would work for a company and, you know, 20, 30 years ago, maybe longer than that, um, there was some loyalty back for you, uh, and the company as well. You, you knew you had a position, uh, relatively safe. Um, that's changed. Um, things are much more transitory now. Uh, and we've gone to really where you've got to be thinking about, uh, how this mechanism is working. And honestly, uh, you've got to look at it from an empowered position and think about that this company really is renting your time. Um, and they're not, uh, you're not renting their time, they're renting your time. And if you look at it from that perspective, um, you, you're in the driver's seat. And as a result, you've got to go out also and go pursue your brand. You've got to go meet people. Um, you've got to put your name out there. You've got to take advantage of events, opportunities that come up. And the reason, you know, I'm in this role is that I just didn't put my head down and think, all right, well, this role is going to work out and so on and so forth. Um, I saw some opportunities out there to go out and meet with venture capitalism, go out and meet with founders, um, have conversations, do some advisory work, those types of things, try some new technologies. Um, as a result, I you know got on stage at some of the, the largest conferences in IT. And, and this was just meeting people, being nice, um, providing advice, and those types of things. So uh, if you're out there, um, focus on, you know, make some time for that personal branding, uh, do the LinkedIn things, go out and meet people, uh, be open to new ideas. You never know where it might lead you. So um, yeah, I think, you know, Lester, you did the right thing there. And I, I love what you said about uh, an insurance policy, or even I kind of likened it to a retirement plan. Um, you got to keep investing in that bank and uh, eventually you're going to pull from it. And hopefully, you know, that's the piece that gets you to that next role. It's not going to become a choice of whether you have your personal brand anymore. Right? I think it's uh, it's like you mentioned, if, if it's becoming more and more trans transitory, it's, it just makes sense. I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure telling someone to just go start a personal brand um, is easy. But there's a lot of a how, why, best practices. But it, I think it all falls back to who, who you are. I think that's the strongest part. You can't, if you're not, and and as you start this journey, the good thing about it is that it will sort of reveal who you are to yourself, right? It's an ongoing self-reflection journey. You will soon discover what you like, what you don't like, what, what draws your, your energy and what gives you energy. And you, yeah, you may not have, you may not have to have full clarity of who you are when you start. I, 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 I wish everyone had. I wish most people, but most people are changing. Most people are, are evolving. You're learning. And I think that's the beauty of it. Um, being able to, I guess it sets you apart as well. If you're able to quickly learn and, and, and adapt. And in this world, like every other day, there are new AI tools coming out just, just for just helping us to live our lives better. I, I, I don't know. So, but I think showing that agility and ability to learn and adapt is is in itself a, a skill that any employer would um would, would love to to have. 
I, I think the same with everything in life. As we do more and more of it, we tend to get better and better at it in most cases. So a year ago, 18 months ago, I'd never really written an article for a magazine. I'd never really presented on stage. I'd done some of it, but it wasn't my job. Then things change. And the first time you do it and it, it's hard and you're like, is this right? Are people going to read it or are people going to come? Are people going to listen? Is it the right audience, et cetera, et cetera. And then when you kind of repeat and repeat and repeat, you get feedback on what you're doing from colleagues around you, from people reading, from people listening. When we first started this podcast, I mean, I I, I go back and listen to podcast number one and two quite a few times. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> why did anybody listen to that? Um, and I think, or I hope at least that we've got better at it. I know that I, I ask questions in a slightly different way. It flows better. We have to do less editing. I think you just naturally get better. Um, but I guess the, the the key question is is what is the book about? Um, what's it titled? Where can people get it? Um, those kind of questions. So let's cover those. Sure. So the book, the title of the book is uh, the Essential Cybersecurity Exercise Playbook. Um, it was why I wrote this book. I don't know. It's a book that I wish I had when I started pivoting into cybersecurity maybe three and a half years ago. Um, so I, I again, I came from the background of being very uh, familiar with drills, exercises from a military perspective, and then going into cyber crisis management. Sure, there are some um, references and, and documentation uh, that help guide how to effectively run an exercise, how to establish exercise programs. So whether it's uh, from NIST, from some of CISA, FEMA, FEMA is a big one. I think the emergency management space uh, loves exercises, rightfully so. Mm -hmm. um, but whenever I wrote, whenever I read those documents, it was too lengthy. Uh, a lot of, um, a lot of, I don't know, not a lot of, uh, practicable advice that I could derive from when I read it, right? It's like, it reads like a procedural, procedural guideline document on how to structure, how to set up your IT systems and how to set, they took the same approach to, to how to structure an exercise, which we're not, we're not, you see, exercises, a huge element of it is the human factor, right? compared to guidelines on IT systems. Those are very procedural. You can get a you, you can get a bot to do that. But in, in an exercise, a lot of it is human interaction and human facilitation and a lot of psyche as well. And most of the references or, or, or knowledge out there that I try I try to read up and try to quickly level myself up in corporate exercising. So firstly, corporate exercising is something almost foreign, right? When we started this space, I talk about drills and exercises. We're like, yeah, we do fire drills. Uh, we do BCP walkthroughs. We do pen testing. Okay. But no one actually sits in a room and simulates a crisis. It's, it's rare. I think only a few companies have the mandate and appetite to do so. Um, I think over the last three, four years, that has shifted fairly quickly with um, real-life crisis in the world. We all know what's happening uh, over the last three, four years. A pandemic happened. A war happened. Cyber attacks are, are growing. And 
Therefore, how I think the backdrop of I think why I wrote it, I think cyber exercises are not going to go away. They're just going to continue to be of importance and uh, widespread utilization across small, medium, even large enterprises. So I wanted to write the book to talk about the practical tips on, I think, two key parts. One, how do you run an effective exercise? Because we have all been through exercises that are just downright boring and out of it, you're like, okay, I just wasted two hours of my life. And next year, we're going to learn the same lessons again. Like, yeah, just stack the box and move on. So really want to, because you kept, you, 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 you have so much, you have two hours of your executive's time. Let's say it's an executive table talk. You don't, 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 it's, it's valuable time and, and an opportunity. Don't let it go to waste because you didn't prepare well, you didn't socialize the structure well, and you didn't understand where the company was going in terms of defense posture, for example. So that's one part. And then the second part, I don't think many, uh, firstly, not many people are talking about structuring an entire exercise program. Um, what usually happens in, in companies right now is somebody thought of running an exercise, right? And they just do it. And then six months down the road, somebody thought about it again, which if I am a participant, I'll be cheesed off like, okay, why are we doing this? Whoa, what's the reasons? How do I, what's the benefit? Why are we choosing this topic? Is this a sustainable program? How does it fit into the, the enterprise goals? All, none of, not many, in fact, I don't think many, there's not much literature from a cyber crisis perspective on how this is being uh, articulated and structured and how it sort of supports your overall cyber transformation plans. Most people just open up their NIST frameworks. Yeah, let's build up according to all the CF controls frameworks. But I've, I strongly believe that uh, a robust exercise program helps to answer the paramount question that all the money and time is spent to do is, are we ready to respond to a cyber attack? Anything else that you do, it's, we're just trying to answer one question. Yeah, we are ready. That's all. But you, you, if you don't run an exercise, a thorough one, how, how can you have the confidence to say you're ready? Just because you installed this, your, your XDR, you're ready? No, it's, <laughs> you're not going to have. Anyone that has that confidence to say, yeah, they are ready without going through a rigorous program is just bullshitting. I'm, I'm sorry, but that's not okay about it. Yeah. I think it's like trying to run a marathon and saying you're ready when you've never put your running shoes on or gone outside. Yeah. I mean, you could have gone and bought the running shoes and the, and the whatever other equipment you need to run a marathon, but unless you've actually tried to do it, you can't really say you're ready, in my opinion. But I, I, I think he, I think you know, Lester, you hit on something that was really critical there mm -hmm. that I heard, and um, you said the unpredictable side of of it, of it, and that's the human side. Uh, and, you know, we, we spend a lot of time on making our technology predictable. We fail it over. We do, um, you know, DR training, so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, um, that variable of, of human aspect uh, is not really brought to the surface. And, um, I mean, I can remember in my career, I think we did it twice, 
in 20 years. Uh, and it was generally related to DR. And then if you look at cybersecurity, um, getting hacked is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Um, so my question to mm -hmm. you is, uh, I, I think you're going to call it out in the book of the why, um, but um, how often should people be thinking about running these exercises? Is it a yearly thing? Is it every two years? Is it every six months? Um, is there Should there be a regular cadence? I think for for the sanity and planning, there should be a regular cadence, right? Um, but I think I, what I offer is there are three or four times that you should consider running an exercise. So firstly, I, I think if you just go to regulatory mandates, they say, yeah, just do it once a year, you, you tick that box. So that's, we, 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 we close that book. We talk about four reasons when you should consider running an exercise. I think one is when you have significant manpower change over. Most people oversee it. Like your CISO change, your head of your SOC changes, but you assume that the playbooks that you have still make sense. You, you assume that um, the escalation and the understanding of that leader's interpretation of definitions is the same. It's not the same. We, we, we struggle to even agree upon day-to-day -day things. Why are we assuming that we agree upon what to do in a crisis, right? That's ridiculous. So if you have a significant change in personnel, it's a good time to run exercise, especially if you are the leader in that team. It's your opportunity to set your thresholds and your expectations, right? When Give me a call when this happens. doesn't matter where I am on a holiday, blah, blah, blah. Give me a call because I want to know. So all those, are they written in the playbook? Yeah, it's written in some broad definition, right? But you, you, you can't really articulate that. So run through an exercise. People understand, your, your teams understand what you are expecting from them. Uh, whether it's timing, quality, medium of transmission of information, we all assume that we all know. But so when there's a significant change, I think it's important to run. When there is, so that's the first time. The second time is when you implement solutions that change your response strategy, right? So if you have a new DRP solution that previously you had no cap no capability to, to block certain things. Now you have it. So it's, it changes your response approach to a potential data breach incident. Bring up the plans again, exercise, make sure everyone understands that, okay, there's a new tool set now. At this point in time, this comes into play. Previously, uh, we were sitting ducks maybe. Now we have a solution. Let's uh, relook at our plans and get everyone on the same page of what we're going to do in response to an, such an incident. So that's the second time you should consider running. I think the third time is when there is a significant change in threat landscape. So we all, we all rely on our threat intel sources to do what they do, right? Just get clarified TTPs, update IOCs, provided bit update signatures, reload, uh, we look at your, your vulnerabilities again. But if there's a significant change in whether, I don't know, move it, clock, lock it is the, the question that we need to answer now, right? Just because it's so prominent. Bring that up in a scenario. Look at it. We look at your tools. We look at your assumptions previously. Uh, does your signatures capture 
what we see right now? Does our assumptions and our thresholds, does our DDoS controls match? Is it still within the, the threshold? So I think that's uh, when a new threat emerges, whether it's a particular threat or an entire, um, what we call it, like your alert level changes, right? Like when early Russia, Ukraine, there was a time to run an exercise to get everyone up to speed, increase the readiness of your teams, um, socialize everyone with the um, what was previously a simmering threat. Now it has come to fruition. Um, what and how do we deal with it? Even if it's even if your plans does not change, getting everyone aware of the new threat environment is important uh, in terms of psyche readiness. Um, and I think it prompts people to relook at how ready they are. No one spends their time looking at their plans. No one, right? It's all written, shelf, and uh, in theory, when it happens, you pull it out. But why are we waiting to, when something happens? If we know that the environment has changed, the threat uh, significance of the threat has increased or probability has increased, then I think it behooves us to, to, to have a look at um, when whether our previously well-taught plans still make sense. Yeah, so I think there are those are the three times where you should consider. There was a fourth, I can't remember the fourth one now, but yeah. So I, I think it's critical. I mean, I, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that everybody was writing kind of the first lot of DR or backup recovery plans. And unless you test recovering, what's the point? I mean, the amount of times that you would, like you said, write a plan, put it on the shelf. Or I mean, and a lot of the times you'd write a plan, you'd run the plan, but you'd do a recovery, you'd put the tape in, you'd recover, you'd go, everything works. Mm -hmm. And I remember taking a plan off the shelf when I started at a new company and I'm like, this says you use product A and you recover with product A, but when was the last time you had product A? It's like, oh no, we've replaced that with product B like four years ago. I'm like, well, the plan should really be different then. It's like completely different tech. Mm -hmm. And, and that's and that's the same. And I mean, that's just one example. Like you said, if if the staff change, well, they're not going to just be able to take the plan off the shelf and and run the plan. Uh, and, and and the management team might not want the plan running that way. You you've raised some really valid points. Um, where do people get the book if they want it? Yeah. So I think the easiest way to find it is. Yeah, on, on my profile page on LinkedIn, you'll find a few ways to to, to link to that uh, product page to, to purchase that. So yeah, that's where you can find it. I haven't launched it anywhere else, so it's, that's, that's the only place you can find it. Now, I mean, I have a copy of it, so thank you. Um, like I said, I've only had the copy for a couple of days. I haven't got around to reading it yet. I definitely will. Um, I think it's great that you've taken... What, what in general a lot of people struggle to deal with um and i have and and in the past and like i said in hindsight yeah fine but took me 10 or so years to think back and say that layoff was a good idea mm -hmm. um but yeah I, I i think the fact you've taken it and created something in in a relatively short period of time it is 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 amazing um and it goes to show that there's support around you well, at least I hope it goes to show that there's enough support around you for you to feel confident that if you created this thing, people would want it. And and I can see there's a buzz about it. 
I'm hoping it's very, very successful and I'm sure you'll come up and write more books. Um, but I guess one final question is what's next for you? You've written a book. What do you want to do next? It, it pretty much is, I guess you've said the world is kind of your oyster. You have the freedom to to do whatever you want. What is it you're going to do? Are you going to unfortunately put pineapple on pizza or are you going to travel? Or are you going to seek another role? What What's your kind of intention? Yeah. So I think I was, I was always clear that uh, my goal was to continue looking for a job and a full-time yep. role. And yeah, I think I'm fortunate to be starting a full-time role soon. Uh, with a, with a Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, and very fortunately, I wouldn't say fortunate. I was looking for this role and this role is about delivering exercises. So I think that's a good match in uh, my uh, yeah, my experience, my skill set, my passion, and it's also an opportunity to uh, explore some other areas in terms of, I guess, coaching, personal branding. I think that's another yep. that's another passion that I, I I have about, and yeah, this this role allows me to do that. So I'm I'm fortunate. Yeah. And did your personal brand help you? Do you think to get the role? Mm, I think. Yes, directly, directly so, and also indirectly. So directly, I think, um, yeah, without it, people wouldn't, people wouldn't, people, the particular company wouldn't even have known about me if I didn't do that. Yep. So that's one. And then secondly, I think internally, it helped my confidence, awareness, value of, of what I can bring to a company. Yep. And that translates... I think I always tell people when I go into interviews, if the person, I, I always try to go into interviews, not talking about my ability to do the job because I've already proven so. So I, I, I focus the conversation about matching of aspirations, alignment of strategy and, and goals uh, rather than can I do the job? I mean, most interviews is about can I do the job? Okay, let's try and get past that quickly because I've already shown that. That shouldn't be a that shouldn't be a question, right? I mean, obviously, if the person doesn't know you, you 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 should still be applying to cold cold colder jobs. Then obviously, take the time to explain your background and all that. But I always try to go into interviews, um, touching a bit about my ability, but quickly sk yeah. skipping past that because I owe it to myself to demonstrate my ability way before I step in the room. And I think really that's that's the key of personal branding. I mean, I've, I've said a little bit before on this podcast that a lot of the roles I've got in the past are because I've made friends and relationships at physical events before LinkedIn became a thing, right? And I'm sure it's the same for John. And whether that be a permanent job or a part-time job or just some free work or, or some assistance or whatever advice, whatever it may be, is generally because you've met people, you've made relationships, the power of LinkedIn is being able to have that huge wide audience instead of maybe that circle of people being 250 people, 500 people or whatever it is, whatever you've met it, say a VM world or an InfoSec or a Black Hat or an RSA, those conferences where you've done and, and, and met people, LinkedIn gives you the power of reaching so many more people. Mm -hmm. And initially when I started publishing things online, I was concerned that it's ve people get a very deep view into your personality. Yeah. 
right? My personality is my personality. Jones is different. Yours is different. We do a podcast. We've done 50 plus episodes. We've done YouTube videos. John's got stuff on YouTube that he's recorded however many years ago. It's very simple for anybody who wants to interview us to do it without actually ever talking to us. They can simply write our names in LinkedIn or YouTube or whatever it may be, and they can see our personality, what we like, what we don't like, how we deal with certain situations, how we deal with stress, all of these things. And sometimes putting all of those things out online means you've got nowhere to hide. You've got nowhere to hide. You publish a lot of yourself online, as do I, as do John. There's nowhere to hide. But you have to have a level of confidence to be able to do that, that you, and you've mentioned this before, you have to be able to search inside and go, okay, I value myself. I value what I do. I'm happy to put those things out there. And maybe that's the one piece of advice I would give to people is, don't hide behind social media because you'll be caught out. If you publicize something out there that isn't the real you, when you turn up and have a real you interview and it doesn't match with what you've got out there, people will soon see the differences. I am what I am. I mean, yes, not everybody's going to like certain aspects of me, I hope that more people do, and I hope that if I ever need a, a role again, I hope that there's enough people out there that have a level of respect for what I do, and I, I, I guess John's the same. But the power of what you've done in such a short period of time, I have to take my hat off, and that's why I wanted you to come back on as a guest, because when we spoke to you last, it was like literally right in the mix of when you were hearing that you were being laid off, and here we are, not a lot longer really, and in that gap between having a job and not and, and getting another job, you've written a book. Hmm. I mean, hmm. I don't know what to say about that. Um, but John, anything you want to say before we kind of wrap up? No, I think um, I, I love what Lester has done here. Uh, he's taken some time. He's passionate about exercises. And, uh, you know, we in IT need more of it. Uh, it's not a matter of, of if, it's a matter of when you're going to get hacked. Uh, just look at the landscape right now. You mentioned move it. Uh, I think I've been exposed personal credentials, move it. I think I'm up to about three times now. Uh, so this is going to become more common than less. Uh, and you need, you need to exercise that unpredictable side of IT, and that's the human element. And uh, looking forward to reading the book and, and leveraging it in uh, talks that are going to be upcoming because uh, there are many uh, that are planned for the future. So. Uh, congratulations, Lester. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jay, John, for the time and again for the platform to share my short little journeys. I'm still growing, still learning, which is, it's good. If you're stagnant, then you're just going to be obsolete very quickly. Well, thank you for coming back on and good luck. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this discussion, please give The Edge a like and a follow on your favorite podcast service. And also connect with the SSC Forum on LinkedIn. Get all the latest updates and news on the phenom known as the Security Service Edge.